0: What is up my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide Ned Shout, father to 5 kiddos currently ages 10 to 16 and husband to my rad wife Sarah working on our 19th year of marriage. So, yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood, and I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course, have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is David Waldy, the Fierce Empathy Coach. And my friends, this conversation has the power to impact your life if you take some notes and take some time to implement practical steps that David shares to move towards becoming the man, husband, and father you desire to be. Enjoy meeting my friend David. All right, David, welcome to Fatherhood Field Notes, man. It's good to uh, meet you face-to-face virtually. Uh, Thanks
1: for coming on the show. Thank you, Ned. It's an honor to be here, brother. I'm excited for today's conversation. It's going to be a good one.
0: Yeah, man. Anytime we can pause, talk about the things that matter most, you know, uh, being a man, being a child of God, uh, being a husband, a father. I mean, these are the things that matter most deeply to our hearts and souls. But so much of the time, just because the way the day is filled, you know, we find ourselves suspending time in other areas. So I'm excited to talk uh, fatherhood with you and, and how us dads can continue to show up well for our kiddos. So to kick us off, I'm going to ask a couple of just random questions to help people understand who I'm talking to. How old do you find yourself today?
1: How old do I find myself? Man, I feel like um, you know a 21 year old kid uh, most days, but I um, I'm 32.
0: 32. Okay, and where do you live?
1: I live in Columbia, South Carolina.
0: And how many or uh, how many years you've been married? So coming up on nine years in marriage. Okay, cool. Almost about to hit that decade together. So got married young, huh? Like 2023, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. And uh, how many kiddos
1: do you guys have? We have three kiddos right now and two dogs. And my wife wants a couple more kiddos. Okay. (laughs) I I I will say I do too, but. (laughs) So three kids and what are their ages? Five, three, and 11
0: months dang five, three and 11 months. Okay. You're in the thick of it
1: right now. Oh yeah. It's, it's something, man, it is wild and I love it. <laughs> mm,
0: that's so cool. Um, before I ask my next question, I want to know, okay, having a five, three and 11 month old, when did fatherhood become an adventure? Like when did you realize, Whoa, my role matters. This is a big deal.
1: Um, when I was a teenager, honestly, mm. um, yeah, it was from a very young age. I have wanted to be a father more than anything um, my entire life. I mean, next to being a husband, I mean, my first passion was I wanted to become a husband that was worthy of the uh, the wife that I felt like God was preparing for me. Uh, ended up going through uh, a lot of um, a lot of pain with with an ex. I was engaged before and everything mm. like that. Um, she gave the ring back two weeks before the wedding. Went through you know a lot of identity crisis, confusion. Yeah. My, uh, my wife, uh, we actually met leading worship together at a church. Um, and it was, it was really amazing how it happened. It wasn't like forceful. It wasn't one of those, you know, weird, wistful, romantic, crazy notebook style things. It was just like, I, I feel like this is my best friend on the entire planet. Like, let's just get to know each other, do life together. And I mean, I, I knew within a week of asking her on a first date, Uh, we didn't move fast, but it was just, it was definitely something that I was super excited about. And, um, she's hands down my best friend in the entire planet. And she is infinitely more than I could have ever asked for or imagined. And from that, I knew that if we could establish an incredible marriage, that being a husband, um, you know, would be followed by being a father. And so I've wanted both of those things since my earliest memories, honestly. Mm, Beautiful. Now, little side question. What did you do in the worship band? So I I still we still lead worship almost every every other Sunday. I play guitar. And I I used to sing a lot used to actually lead singing and she is um, she sings and plays piano. She's one of those ones where when you hear her sing you kind of take a step out and you're like yeah I don't know how to sing after after hearing her after, mm. <laughs> after hearing her sing you're like that that's how you sing cuz i i can't do that <laughs> love it i so i played drums in
0: our church worship team from 7th grade all the way through uh, you know, high school, college. Yeah. So fun. <clears throat> now let me ask you this. So clearly, you know, you're still saying about my wife's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, you had about four years where you guys were figuring out life together, um, from 23 to say 27, 28, something like that. And then you had your first kid and then it's kind of like kid, 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 dog, mm-hmm. dog. And then maybe a couple more kids are coming. So how do you maintain that? She's your best friend still uh, with that same kind of tenderness in your voice, um, that it sounds like you had, you know, the week after you took her on your first date, she comes first. Like how like, practically, like, I love the
1: answer, but how mm-hmm. practically I, I make it happen. Mm-hmm. It's not negotiable to me. It's not even a question. Um, and so what does that look like? Like say this last week, if, if
0: mm-hmm. we are to go grab her real quick and put her on the podcast, put her on blast and be like, how did David, uh, put you first this last week? What would she say?
1: She would say that, uh, David continuously, um, allows her or like, you know, I guess I yeah, yeah. It, yeah. the, the ability to, to live her dream as a mother and mm. whatever's necessary for her to be able to get the rest. She needs the support that she needs. Um, I, um, you know, I'm usually the one that's trying to go take care of the kiddos. If they're, if they're waking up in the middle of the night, uh, I've been very fortunate in that, and it's really been the last several years. Cause I, being an entrepreneur, I've been able to build my own schedule. So our life is, has been very orchestrated and planned. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't early on, early on, it was just a survival. It was just like, we got to pay the bills and make, yeah. but when we first got married, one of the things that she told me was, she said, she said, my dream is to be a a stay at home mom. And so I Mm. knew early on, um, we're going to have to figure out how to do this single income. I'm going to have to do something that I love, but that also I'm not having to work, you know, ridiculous hours. And so what she would say now is that, um, you know, in the mornings, I'm trying to help her with, uh, with everything that I can for the kids, making her coffee, um, checking in on her, you know, we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the kids every single day. Um, we are really good at communication, coordinating. We've got our schedules. Like she knows my calendar. We go over things and uh, we have intentional time like every single evening together after we go to uh, put the kids down. Date nights are tough with three kids. I mean, mm-hmm. they're fine what ties it, but usually our date nights are, are really at home and we're just uh, doing things together. Maybe we're watching a movie or we're working on a project and sometimes just sitting and talking. She doesn't like board games very much because I always beat her. So, so uh, <laughs> she gets mad. Um, but practically, I guess to answer your question, uh, she knows that I find tremendous joy in, in helping her to, um, to do the things that she loves to do. Mm. And I feel like that's a huge thing that our culture has lost in, in a lot of relationships is that I don't see the work that I do just trying to make her happy. Um, I don't subscribe to the. What most people say the happy wife, happy life mantra, I get it, but um I disagree with it because if you're not happy as like if I'm not happy as a husband by doing the things that fulfill me, that that I I know a healthy self-prioritization and equally making sure that I am supporting, encouraging, and building her up. Mm. It's not this one sided, like I'm, you know, a lot of guys, unfortunately, that I hear. They're just playing survival at home. They're just trying to keep their wife happy, trying to get her get her off their back, trying to make sure he's not making mm, mistakes. We have yeah. such healthy communication. I mean, we we argue, you know, we have yeah. <laughs> we're humans, but I feel like um, I honestly feel like the the wealthiest man on the planet, Ned. But when it, when I look at my life, I'm so grateful. But it's not been by luck. It's not been by chance. It's been by fierce intentionality in our relationship for sure.
0: Mm, yes, great, dude. Thank you for taking the time to, uh, to really explain that, uh, openly and honesty, honestly, I, I appreciate
1: that. Um, we're not perfect by the way, let me throw that in there. I, I, no, I, I, <laughs> I miss the mark plenty of times. I want to make sure everybody knows where it's not perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think that everybody gets that, <clears throat> um, life is life. You know, this is kind of interesting. So, um, I, I think sometimes I'll be too hard on myself because I'll measure the day like like we kind of got into a little bit of an argument last or this morning Um, it's all squashed and good now, but I think sometimes I'll look at the day, which is a too short of a measurement sometimes versus like looking at the week. So this is something I've been talking about on the podcast and, and and just like kind of evaluating my own life is instead of just looking at today and feeling like, dang, you suck as a husband right now to go, wait a second, let's look at this whole week. For both of us, you know, like she doesn't suck as a wife and I don't suck as a husband. Let's look at this one, this, let's not just look at this one moment in time and look at like the last seven days. And there's been so many wins. Um, So I think that's been helpful for men who are really trying to move into that. Yeah. Being more intentional because the thing is, if I just look at today, then I'm more likely to let it drag into two or three days versus being able to do that mental shift and, and turn and go, hang on a second we're cool. You know, like yesterday we were totally having a blast laughing together. Don't let this little thing then trickle into two or three days of us being frustrated or me being cold towards her or something like that. Um, any thoughts on that before I go to my next question?
1: No, I, I, yeah, I think that, um, I've I've just, if I've learned anything, the reason, you know, that I think it's been such a, you know, a, a beautiful journey is that from a very young age, and this is encouragement to any guy that's listening, Um, I just, I always wanted, I was the kid who wanted to learn from people who had done it. Mm. I never believed like I, I I ended up graduating with a, a, you know, full ride academic scholarship that I turned down because I didn't want to go to school to learn from people who taught theory. I wanted to learn from actual people that had done the things I wanted to do. And one of the things I did from a very young age is I pursued intentional relationships with really old people. Um, meaning there was even like a, a, one, two year season of my life where I was in and out of nursing homes and I intentionally, I was mm-hmm. in sales, but I was in and out of nursing homes intentionally asking these people that, you know, either had the picture of their spouse on the wall, you know, that they had an incredible marriage mm-hmm. and they're still together and they're like 90 years old and they're the cute little just wrinkly couple sitting in the corner. And I would literally go up to them and ask them, I say, please tell me what the secret is like, what is the key to an incredible long lasting marriage? And so I always pursued models. And part of that came out of some traumatic stuff that um, I went through as a kid, my parents ended up getting divorced. And so I, I, I thank God that there was like, uh, there was something there that prompted me to say, the only way that this is going to work and work well, you look at the statistics, divorce rates, abuse, trauma, like all of it is I need to learn from people who are doing it well. I know I'm not going to be perfect at it, but I think that's the thing for, as you're talking about constant reflection and looking at where you're at and being careful to not judge yourself in these moments. Cause we all, Mm -hmm. there's moments where I lash out. There's moments where I say things I don't mean. There's moments where I lose, lose it on the kids. Um, but I feel like, especially as men, if we are being very intentional to take an inventory and we don't slip into guilt, we don't slip into shame. We don't slip into regret, but we're honest with ourselves. We say, okay, this is not all right. What do I need to change? What do I need to modify? How do I need to, you know, to adjust things in my life so that I can be operating as the man that I said that I would be. Mm-hmm. When you do that, that's when you're truly an in integrity. And I find that men who are operating integrity that are true to them, themselves and being the men they said they would be have much fewer problems in their relationships and in their, in their parenting. Yeah. I want
0: to come back to that, too. this idea of who are you saying that you are? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions and then let's, let's, let's dive into that, um, that question right there. Um, so I think it's starting to come out a little bit, <clears throat> but if you could take 60 seconds or so and tell us what you do for a living, and, and every few episodes I say this, I hate the question because most of us men use that question to size each other up. But the, <laughs> the reason why I ask the question is because I want meant to realize that fatherhood is a level playing field. Um, it doesn't matter if you make, you know, 20 bucks an hour or a thousand bucks an hour. Um, you know, today, a boy's coming over to my house at three thirty to ask if he can date my daughter. Right. And that doesn't matter how much I make that's still happening. <laughs> so, uh, fatherhood is a level playing field. So with that, what is it that
1: you do for a living? I love that you said fatherhood's a a level playing field because you're right. Our kids don't give a crap about how much money they No, no. And
0: I think the other important thing to note about that is I don't want a dad looking across the street at the dad with the wakeboard boat or whatever it is and feel like, oh, my kids would be better off with that dude because these little humans are half you. You're the only one on the planet that they they need now i get there's other circumstances stepfathers and, and and homes and things that happen but in our typical situation we've got a dad who has kids and we're talking about his identity right now and that's really what this podcast is about so
1: yeah so go to answer on. your question yeah to answer your question um in simplest terms i'm in uh coaching consulting and speaking i work with a lot of different on, uh, entrepreneurs different individuals that uh not just men um but Uh, My heart is to see, I love that you use this phrase because I use a lot is is remembering what matters most is that in the midst of building our dreams, in the midst of chasing the things that we believe that God has placed inside of our hearts, I truly believe it comes down to alignment and integrity in whatever you do with your hands, whether you blue collar, white collar, whatever. Uh, It comes down to the man that you are in the roles that you occupy, Mm -hmm. choose to be. Because at the end of the day, you're going to, you know, whether you work from home or you come home from work, the moment that you interact with your kids, you are setting a standard, a tone, you are affecting the environment, your attitude, your mood, your presence has so much weight and power. And I I feel like I've learned the hard way, probably similar to you, Ned, is that that is something that is it's powerful, but it's also very dangerous. And that's what I love about us. Yep. Yep. We are, we're monsters to some degree, but that's not an intrinsically bad thing. It means that we have so much going on in our heads, in our hearts, on our shoulders and life. And we're, we're thinking future and we're thinking protection. We're thinking provision. We're thinking, you know, spiritual covering. We're thinking about all these different things. There's a lot of pressure on our shoulders, but When we are not properly supported, we're not emotionally regulated, when we're not, our mental health isn't in a good state, when we're allowing the things of life and work and financial stress, financial stress is huge for a lot of guys. That carries over and directly affects the very people that we love the most. And so uh, a lot of the work that I do is combination, you know, business-oriented stuff, identity, confidence, emotional intelligence. Um, I love... I just love working with people and helping them see what's possible, and helping them to see themselves and the world around them differently.
0: Mm. I love it, man. So then, you know, on your Instagram, you are the uh, fierce empathy coach. That's right. So, so explain that to me, because like, you're like, all right, yeah, I'm a speaker and I help people, <laughs> but but break down this fierce empathy coach. What does that mean? How does that? What I guess at your heart, there's something different about empathy and I mean, fierce is an intentional word to use. So, so break this down for me.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's something that took me a very long time to finally embrace. It took a lot of years of pain. So a lot of loss, it, 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 you know, pain, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies. Um, And we can dive into some of that if we have some time, I'd love to share because I want every man to know like we've all been through crap and most guys don't even realize it, you know. And so be careful of judging uh, everyone. Right. And Hmm. I love what you said at the beginning when we were praying before this is like there's no ego here. Like I don't feel like either of us have anything to prove or anything like that. More just We're figuring this stuff out. I sure, I know I can learn just as much from you, Ned, as I'm sure you can learn from me or we can learn from anyone listening. Yeah. But when we talk about um, fierce empathy, the reason it's the cornerstone of everything that I do is that we live in a culture in a day and age that is constantly scared of being misunderstood. Um, we have everyone walking around on eggshells. We have You either have one side of the spectrum or the other. You have people that are very loud, very opinionated, very strong-willed, Borderline narcissistic. <laughs> you know, yeah. Doing you know, they're they're out there. And then you have these other people that are very strong and stoic, but they um they don't say, you know. They don't share their opinion. They don't. Um, they walk on eggshells. They have the fear of being misunderstood. All this kind of stuff. And so, for me, from a very young age, I knew that I was very emotional. I'm, I'm a very emotional dude. I'll cry at the drop of a hat, man. I I love tears. I love hugs. Like if I'm a, I, if we were here right now, like we'd be shoulder to shoulder. I'd be giving you a big giant bear hug. I'm a very physical touch, like visceral human being. But growing up in the culture and environment, I grew up a Kansas farm boy, and so growing up in Kansas, everything is about manhood is very much hard, hard hardworking. Like, Mm. you know, if you don't have scars on your arms from like twisting barb wire and like lifting hay bales, like you're, you're not a man yet. Right. And so it was very much guys. Aren't emotional guys. Don't cry. Guys are, you know, men, at least men don't cry. Men don't show their emotions. You know, we're supposed to bottle that stuff up. But from a very young age, even when I was like 14, 15, I realized like my, I did a bunch of different strengths tests and stuff like that. Empathy has always been my number one strength. I have Mm. empathy, inclusivity. um, I have adaptability, connectedness, uh, all these very relational things. I'm a very relational person. But that led to a lot of, you know, internal crisis around in a culture where men aren't supposed to be like, you know, soft and squishy and I'm definitely soft and squishy, but Mm -hmm. I'll also rip your face off. You know, it's, it's a weird thing (laughs) if needed. Like if, if there's a situation, I never understood that from, for, you know, probably 15, almost 20 Mm -hmm. years of, I was very agreeable. I was the nice guy. Everybody loved David. Like I never said anything controversial. I wanted to be liked by everyone. Like I didn't have an enemy. And over time, I started to realize that that was literally killing me because I had adopted a very skewed and flawed mentality of what empathy is. See, I thought empathy was soft and gentle and very nurturing and kind. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry you're dealing with this stuff. Now, what I realize is that the people that I respect the most, and this really came from the life of Jesus, Jesus is obviously the lion and the lamb. He is soft. Mm-hmm. He is sharp. He is someone that, you know, he, he's not a tame lion as C.S. Lewis, you know, encapsulated him as Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. And that, that ideology started to inform so much of the work that I did, especially in the corporate world before I transitioned into building my own businesses. I realized that I was very empathetic, but I didn't have this edge to me. I didn't have this confidence. I didn't have the certainty. I didn't have this, you know, unshakable belief. Like when I'm showing up in an environment, I'm, it's not ego. It's not arrogance. It's just, I know who I am. I know what I believe. I know what I'm for. I know what I'm about. And I wanted to figure out a way that I could, encapsulate this experience that, that I've had people tell me for years, people would tell me for years, like David, you just, I feel so seen. I feel understood. I feel loved. I feel safe with you, but you also kind of make me a little nervous. Mm. Why, why do I make you nervous? It's like, because I know that you care about me enough to tell me what I don't want to hear, but that I need to hear. And that started to build this thing inside of me where I realized, oh my gosh, okay, I want to create environments. And this is part of the mission that I have is to help others to create environments where the people that are around you, they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel understood and they feel loved. But simultaneously, we are fiercely committed to love them well by speaking the hard truth in love, no matter what discomfort may follow. Meaning, if I see someone that I love that is self sabotaging, that is harming themselves, that is believing something that's not true, that is thinking things that are devastating their relationship or themselves, I have to care about them enough to create enough intimacy in that relationship to say, Hey, Ned, I love you, bro. You got to stop this. This is killing you. This is affecting your wife. This is affecting your kids. Because we live in a day and age where no one feels like I don't see very many people having the courage to do that. They either are attacking and guilting and shaming and shoving it on people and forcing accountability and saying you shouldn't do that or you should. But there's a big difference, and fierce empathy is creating depth and intimacy in the relationship so that I have permission to even say that. Because I can't, I can't come at you and, and try and tell you anything. That unless there's relationship there, right?
0: Yeah. So what gives you the permission? So I know you just said it's relationship, but mm-hmm. in that relationship, what makes it where it's both you know, both ways? It's not just you being so disciplined and you yeah, because like, all right, David, I get it, dude, but you're way more disciplined than me. And that's your life and not my life. So what gives you that um ability to have that um Authority to speak into someone's life—you
1: have to ask for it. You have mm. to, be,
0: you know. You, 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 you so if they don't want it, you're not going to give it to them. Oh no, never, uh. no, never. Okay, Somebody- so then you're out. You earn. You earn the right through inspiring through your own life. Um, right
1: versus. To some degree. So I'm sure you have this, then you have this happen. Hey, Ned, can you help me with such and such? I've got a question or what are your thoughts or what's Mm -hmm. your opinion on this? We get those all the time. And so for me, let me, uh, let me kind of dial it back and, you know, simplify it. If you have a relationship with a friend and they come to you and they're like, hey, Ned, I'm dealing with such and such. And if I was was in that situation, my number one go-to question is always this, is like, um, you know, John or whoever is like, John, I love you, brother. You know, I'm always here for you, but just real talk. Are you looking for support right now? Or are you looking for solutions? Cause I want to be very intentional and careful with the next thing that I say to you, because sometimes a lot of times, actually more often than not, people just need support. They just need you to hold space. Mm-hmm. They don't need solutions. They know the right answers. Most of us know the right answers, the right things to do. And so the work that I do, um, you know, if I guess if we're asking through that orientation is really an extraction process, it's just questions. Like, I yeah. love, I don't have a lot of answers. I know how to ask really good questions, though. And so, when people bring stuff, the way that I earn that quote unquote authority or permission is by asking them saying, Hey, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. I don't care. Like, I love you. I care about you. I, what your choices and not what you decide to do, that's on you. I'm good. Yep. But if you're coming to me and you're saying, hey, I'm, I have this problem or I'm concerned about this or you're venting or whatever it is. When I ask the question, are you looking for support or are you looking for solutions? That's a very specific question. And people are then given the opportunity to say, honestly, right now, I, I, I just need support, man. I need a shoulder to cry on. I need a brother to lock arms with me. I need somebody just to hold space, listen to me, vent, <laughs> you know, moan about this for 15 minutes or whatever. And I'll be your dude and I'll shut up and I'll just cry with you. But if you want solutions, you're probably not going to like what I have to say. And the reason that you're not going to like what I have to say is because I'm going to tell you what everyone else is too scared to tell you because they're too worried about the relationship and offending you and upsetting you. But I want to do it in a way where you feel and you know, I love you and I care about you. And this is why I'm telling you this. But that door has to be opened by the other person. I cannot force it.
0: And neither one of those, uh, I guess this is sort of a question. One's not better than the other right? I mean, if they want solutions that there's that it's all, I mean, I would almost lean into the, the asking the questions and uncovering it in most aspects is probably more powerful. So if a dude's listening to this going, dude, how do I just be more empathetic towards my wife and kids? Mm -hmm. Would you say have less answers and ask more questions or is there something else you'd say for them practically to have more empathy and maybe even add
1: towards themselves? Yeah. So that's a slightly different context that I love that you brought up because fierce empathy has, I've, I've found has a lot of different um, definitions. One of my favorite ones in, in, in the, the frame that you're asking is, is using fierce and empathy by looking at it this way. Are you, am I, are we as men being fiercely intentional to understand the heart of our wives Mm. and of our children, because most men I have found, I shouldn't say most, men. there's a lot of men who are very frustrated and overwhelmed because they're constantly trying to understand their wives and trying to get their wives to become more like them or to communicate the way instead of embracing this beautiful gift of this, uh, the way that I see my wife is she's like a wildfire, it, it, absolutely beautiful, but dangerous, unless you can understand how to dance with her. And that's the thing is that it's learning to dance with that fire because you can get burned. Yeah. But you can also have the time of your life with the right perspective. And it's mm-hmm. it, It's a wild ride. But many guys think that because women are hardwired differently, that for some reason. I've got to convince my wife to think like me and act like me and talk like me and be as driven as me and have the same priorities as me and all this other stuff when that's not empathy. Empathy says, I don't understand entirely, but I'm going to do everything within my power To understand, to empathize and see from your perspective, even though it doesn't make sense to me. I can tell this is a priority to you. I don't understand, babe, why it's such a big deal that I leave my socks next to the hamper. I it's like that's a semi-you know, maybe Ned, you'll get a kick out of this one. I I always think that us guys, we have three, we have three levels of clothing. We have our dirty clothes. We have our not dirty clothes and we have our clean clothes. The not dirty clothes are the things that sometimes go over the bed or next to the hamper or whatever. I can wear that again. I can wear that again. It's not dirty. (laughs) It's not clean. But learning these things and how your wife sees the world and how your kids see the world and being fiercely intentional to, to dig in and explore and extract and uncover who this woman is that you've been blessed with, because I truly believe it. When men are committed to do that, our wives blossom. Mm, There's a lot of dudes, a lot of wives who are not blossoming. And and the men don't realize that they're a big part of that reason that their wife is not blossoming. And it's because she might not feel seen. She might not feel heard. She might not feel understood. And the only one that can control that is us Mm -hmm. as men. Mm -hmm. Ah, dude, so powerful. So good. The world would
0: look and feel different if we just chose to show up that way more days than not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. More days than not, our marriages would last. Um, Our relationships with our kids would be deeper if we chose to understand them. Beautifully said, man. Um, Okay, I'm going to ask you real quick.
1: Yeah, do it. I actually thought about this the other day, and this is perfectly fitting. And this was definitely a God download is like we as men we are, we crave adventure. Like I believe at our core, like we want adventure, which means like we're asking for challenges. Like we want something we can conquer. We want something that we can like overcome and we can, and, and one of the things that I think we oftentimes miss in marriage in particular is that that is literally the adventure of a lifetime, But we are so resistant and and feel like it's, you know, we focus on all these little, oh, I stubbed my toe here or I took a wrong step here or whatever. On the path, the journey of our life in this great adventure, which is marriage with this woman, we have an opportunity to explore and discover and have this incredible adventure. But most often, we just don't have the right perspective because we're at odds with one another. Yes. Instead of humbling ourselves and saying... I want to, I want to die in each other's arms. I want this to not just be a 50 year marriage. Like, let's go for 70, babe. Like, can we make it 70 years? I know we can, like our bodies might be given out pretty bad, but you know, what if, right? And, and when we start asking those questions, um, I think it changes the frame and you start to see marriage as, okay, instead of this being frustrating and irritating and annoying or overwhelming or, or whatever, it starts to become a challenge and a good challenge. It's like, yes, this is hard. But hard things are so freaking rewarding, so rewarding. But that's where we miss it. We're looking for easy. Um, yes. You said this at the beginning. You said this at the beginning, Ned. It's simple, but it's hard. Simple is not the same as easy. Right. Simple it just looks like you wake up every day and you keep your word. That's, that's basically it.
0: <laughs> it's so funny, man, because we're looking for comfort. Now, if you are an entrepreneur or maybe, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you might be the guy who's like, uh, reading David Goggins and you're now crushing the gym or you're taking (laughs) cold showers or you're, um, okay. So here's a great example. Like, okay, I'm going to take a cold shower, right. Mm -hmm. To put myself in some discomfort. But when my wife pisses me off for whatever reason, I'm like, she sucks. Screw it. Um, I, and I'm not, I'm not entering in. Like what if I skip the cold shower and just, I know a challenge is going to come up with my wife this week. I know it is. We got five kids. We've got a thousand things we're doing. A challenge is coming. So yeah. what if I embrace those? I was like, all right, sick. Here's a challenge. Okay. Ego, you can go to die. The resistance, mm-hmm. you can piss off. I'm going to enter in this and I'm not going to be a passive idiot. Right. I'm not going to roll over. Like you kind of had mentioned in the beginning, like a lot of dudes just like are trying to do the happy wife, happy life. So if you kind of take that context, you become passive nobody, which isn't respectable by yourself or your wife. But what if we did what you're saying and we looked at those challenges with our wives as the opportunity to enter into the battle we were all designed for? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's like, we long for it so much. And we miss, like, I think that jumping on the grenade for my friends at 21 years old, you know, you know, like that scene in the Captain America, uh, we long for that, but we literally have opportunities every week. If we are married with kids to
1: do that. That's the thing that I think so. And I didn't learn this until the last couple of years. And that is that the thing that if men would get this one thing, it would change everything. Most often the conflict and the tension and in the frustration or stuff from your wife, and she might not even realize it, but I believe this with everything in me. She is testing your fortitude. She's mm. testing her strength because she's looking for security and safety. And so the only way that she can do that to test something means you have to put it under pressure. And so consciously or unconsciously, our wives are constantly giving us these opportunities where she's, you know, I feel like even on a spiritual level, she's putting this pressure there to say, are you able and willing to stand as a man in the face of this tidal wave of fire and not buckle? Because that's the man that I need. If you're going to buckle and become passive, or you're going to lash back out, or you're not going to maintain control of your emotional state and be able to handle this as the man that I desire, then you're going to have a lot of problems in your relationship. I truly believe that with, and that comes from a book, um, uh, the way of the superior man is part of what I, I don't agree with everything in that book, by the way, but it's a fantastic read. Um, and that's, uh, David, uh, David Dade, uh, I think is the name of it, but he, um, He said that, I think in that book, I'm pretty sure that's where it came from. And I I felt something come alive inside of me because I realized, oh my gosh, that's the challenge. That's Mm -hmm, the thing. mm -hmm. Can I stand full, all strength, empowered, but humble and not a threat to my wife who is throwing the wildfire, this wave of stuff, whatever she's dealing with, whether it's the kids or her emotions or she's on her period or whatever it is, just life. Can I stand solidly and securely in who I am and not allow her emotions and her emotional state to throw me off while simultaneously not judging her because I misunderstand how women are wired? Allow her that freedom to be the wildfire of a woman and stand there and be able to have the love and compassion and the strength, I truly believe that that is what women do consciously or unconsciously to test us as men. And it is a beautiful gift if we can recognize it. Yeah.
0: Oh, dude. So I'm going to share a story from this, this morning, which I've kind of alluded to a couple of times. And I'll say, hey, guys, there's times where I kick the grenade back at her regularly. <laughs> Me hey, too, don't bro. Jump I've been on. there. <laughs> I'm like, here, here you go. Have fun. Yeah. Okay. But this morning... um this morning where it's was like a bickering about something, two of my kids are in there. They hear me say like, all right, well, I guess this is just like, whatever, you know, like this is how it is, you know, and there's zero resolution. I go out to my uh, office, work for a couple of or hour, hour and a half, whatever. And I'm sitting there going like, Oh my gosh, she has a woman's tea tonight. I don't want her to like day to suck. You know, she's going to decorate for this, that. So I go in the house and I'm like, Hey, whatever. let let's just, And I'm hugging her and we're just hugging, right? Not even a lot of words need to be said. It's just, you can feel this, like we're both releasing the tension. And I look over and my 13 year old daughter sitting on the couch, just watching this unfold. And she's like, you guys are cute. But everything (laughs) that happened right there is that's shaping my daughter. So like, even if I'm pissed at my wife or whatever, to think, how do I want some dude to show up for my daughter in 20 years? I want him to be swallow his freaking pride yeah. and walk in that house and hold her in your arms and just love her and move on. Now, sometimes it's hard to see when it's with my wife, right? Cause it's like, you get pissed, your friends, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, those moments are so important and and that's why they're going to keep coming up as well it's yeah. you know what i mean they're going to keep coming up they're for both of us they're for our kids they're for their future marriages they're for like 500 years from now if we can handle them well that's like the legacy we're building yeah um oh my gosh okay i want to talk to you for another hour so i'm going to try to be <laughs> i'm trying to go here dude we have got to do more of this okay um <sighs> This podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes. I'm going to skip a couple of questions. Fatherhood Field Notes, you're already doing it. Open up your life, open up your field notes, sharing it. The mantra is rebel and create. And it could be like, I'm rebelling against, you know, having the phone at the dinner table so that we can create amazing family dinners or whatever. Whatever. Or it could be, you know, I grew up with the, without a dad, and I'm rebelling against what it means to, you know, that that's going to impact my family, whatever. So when you hear the words "rebel" and "create," what's something that
1: you are rebelling against, and what do you hope to create out of that? A great question, and it's probably different than uh, the one I gave you previously. I don't even remember exactly what I gave you previously, but I'll share what's on my heart now. Doing what I'm what I'm rebelling against is there. There seems to be a tidal wave of, of apathy, of confusion, of, of resentment, of anger, Mm. of projected pain, of entitlement and insecurity. And all of these things that you just turn on the TV or social media or whatever for two seconds, and you can see a world in pain. Desperately, I believe this with everything in me, desperately looking for men who will be faithful, who will do what they say they're going to do, Mm -hmm. who are winning in their families, in their health, in their business, who are setting examples by defining with precision and clarity the men that they want to become and pursuing that with everything in them. Because I believe that, God has deposited that inside of our hearts mm. to lead. It's good and to to govern, not from a place of authority or superiority or elitism or thinking like I, I don't. I do not subscribe to this belief that men. superior to women or anything like that. I believe that we are created as equals that are vastly different and unique. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we have so many problems is because we don't value differences anymore. And so what I'm rebelling against is this cultural thing that I don't even know if there's a word for it. I think we all feel it. And what I'm wanting to do is to create and model with my life, a life that is surrendered to Jesus, that is madly in love with Jesus, that is madly in love with my wife, that adores my kids and is present for them, that is an imperfect man who's surrounded by support and accountability, brothers who call me out on my Can we on here, call me out of my stuff. <laughs> and surrounded by people that I am, I am constantly feeling inspired and encouraged and built up instead of this. I know the word we live in a hopeless generation Mm. on every front. And I am rebelling against that with everything in me. I'm, 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 I'm stoked for Jesus to come back. But at the same time, I, I understand it could be a few million years, fam, like real talk. And we have, I believe, especially those of us in, in the faith camp have hung our hats on the world's going to hell in a handbasket so let's hold on you know and and it breaks my heart because we've lost the very essence of of what god put inside us the first thing god does is create in genesis that's the first Example of what God is is a creator, and then He makes us in His image, and we live in a day and an age where most people, outside of like social media creators, most people are not actively working towards creating. Mm. They're they're focused on protecting and preserving, mm. and hoarding and and just gathering and doing everything they can that is entirely self focused. And I feel like that is the underlying cause of so much hopelessness for ourselves and for the generations after us because they're looking towards the future like all y'all messed it up and are giving up. What do we have to look forward to? And I think it's because we're forgetting that we have to model that with our lives to give people hope. Mm. Dude, so
0: powerful. And I want to point a couple things out. One, we just started the season of Advent and we've been doing this with our kids is, is, you know, reading Advent Sunday nights before leading up to Christmas. And, you know, hope. Hope is one of those big things. And I've been thinking about hope, you know, and and hope, I love, I I also love what you said, creating versus protecting. But you know, we live in a world where Jesus came, but we hope that he'll come again. Right. And and, and that's what this season is supposed to remind us of is that he's coming again. Yeah. And I love how you pointed out, you know, because I've struggled even with my own podcast with Rebel and Create. You know, to what level is this branded, you know, faith or whatever. The thing is that I think I've come to realize over time is we need an ideal to look to. And the reality is I'm going to let you dudes down. I'm going to be a terrible husband, sometimes a terrible dad, sometimes. David is going to not live up to the ideal man that he wants. So we can't put ourselves at the top of that chart as far as the ideal we're looking towards. Now, this goes for men looking at you and me to inspire. This goes to our wives looking at us. And this goes to our children looking at us. And hopefully one day our grandkids. And if we're lucky enough, our great grandkids. So I think that's one of the main things of like why Jesus came is so that we have this true ideal to look to. And everything you and I are talking about is like servant leader, not this patriarchal like monster, but the lion and the lamb. And I love, dude, I wrote down what you said. Like, I want to cry at the commercial of the girl leaving in the car to college, but I'm also going to, I-, <laughs> <laughs> I will cry. What did we just watch? And I cried. Oh my gosh. That movie. Um, oh gosh. I'm going to blast it. Anyways. I cried. My family was basically, making fun of me. Um, but it was really sweet, but I'm also going to rip your freaking head off yeah, if I need to. And, and when this boy comes to my house today at three 30, I'm not going to be cleaning the shotgun on the counter, whatever, <laughs> but I am going to let him know, like, I'm both the lion and the lamb for you in this season. And these are my expectations and that's good for him. And it's good for my daughter. so, so, I guess I come to this place right now in hearing you talk as well. And as I've been working this out, you know, cause I grew up in church, got turned off by some things, but I've always been a follower of Jesus. So it's like, how much do you like push Jesus? Right. But if I just said, Hey guys live like me, be disciplined like me and didn't give the secret sauce that I'm looking to an ideal constantly, mm-hmm. I'd be fooling everybody. I'm not the guy that you should be mimicking. I'm gonna let you down. You know, I want to inspire you, sure, but I don't and same with my kids. My goal is to show them the way. Yeah. Um so dude, love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, I want to come to something in our last few minutes here. You good on like 10 more minutes? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Okay, so then I want to jump to this because I'm going to read exactly what you wrote. You just said this, but I want to read what you wrote and I want you to break a couple pieces down for us because I think all of us men need this. So uh, coming back to how I said, Hey, let's come back to this question about who do men say that they are. Let's come back to like, who do you say you are? But you had kind of, you had written this, you said, when a man learns to master his emotions, keep his word to himself and others knows who he is, lives, what he believes knows what he wants and clearly defines who he wants to become. I believe he will be granted access to everything he needs to be the father he wants to be. Yeah. No. Beautifully said.
1: Thank you. So, I said that. That's. Yeah, I awesome. know, bro. You should, <laughs> I'll send it back to you.
0: Um, love it. I think this initial step, if we can get into anything, let's do this. Yeah. This initial step of a clearly defining who I want to become yeah. and then, okay. Cause it's like, Hey dudes, let's go sit for an hour, go to a retreat and write this down for an hour. We could all do that. But then there's another thing you said that I think is a, is a piece to it. That's going to make it actually happen. And you said, regulate your emotions or make sure be emotionally regulated. Mm-hmm. So, so break down those two things for me and, and hopefully that'll give some guys some homework to keep pursuing you keep pursuing things you're talking about. And
1: then um, I'll ask you my last question. For sure. Well, I don't, no one needs to feel like they've got to be pursuing me. My goal is with, I want to give a practical exercise because what I believe every man should be doing is chasing himself. And what I mean by that is this, is that there's a version of us that uh, is who we are. And there's a version of us that God created us to be. And the problem that most men have and experience is they live in this state and they, they see the man or they see glimpses of the man that they want to become, but they slip into guilt and shame and condemnation and horrible thinking patterns, cognitive dissonance, emotional dysregulation. Um, a lot of people would call that the enemy or Satan. And we, and you know, the, the devil gets a lot of credit for stuff that's actually within our control. Ah, uh, yeah. Um. There's, also lot, there's also a lot of things that uh, we blame God for. Or we give God the credit for that is actually, again, within our control because he gave us a heart. He gave us a mind. He gave us choice. He gave us the opportunity to do these things. And so Powerful. <laughs> It's really important when you look at this version of you that you want to become, there's probably, I would guess, and this has been pretty typical, but there's some men listening here that don't know how to do that. Like, dude, I have no idea. I don't know who I want to become. I don't, all I, you ask the average person, what do they want? They can't tell you. They can tell you everything they don't want. I can tell you, uh, I, you know, mm. I want to fix my marriage. I want to fix my financial situation. I want to, you know, fix my stupid kids. I want to fix this. I want to <laughs> fix that. So, all, Whatever, right? You, there's a lot of anger and pain that comes out of men when you start talking about like, what do you want in like, I don't know what I want. I just don't want what I have right now. Right. That's all they can say. And so in defining who you want to become, it's very different than than the question many of us grew up with. Because many of us grew up with this question, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? It's a great question, but in my opinion, it's the wrong first question. Mm. The first question should be, who do you want to become? And when you define that, what you need to do gets crystal clear because every choice that you are presented with, if it's not in alignment with who you want to become, it's a simple yes, no, Like that's it. You no longer are questioning and wondering what you should be doing in your career or in your marriage or as a parent or in your health you start aligning yourself with that version. You start asking yourself, what would that version of me do? What does that version of me believe? How does that version of me carry himself? How does that version of me treat his wife? How does that version of me treat his kids? And you have a, you grab a vision, right? The Bible talks about this. Write the vision and make it plain. If you don't know who you want to become, You're going to spend your life lacking purpose, lacking fulfillment, wondering what the meaning of it all is, feeling completely unfulfilled, desperate, living in survival mode because you're just trying to find your purpose. When my belief is this, is that purpose is an invitation into limitless potential that God has given us. And these dreams, these things that we place, I, I don't know if you dealt with a similar thing similar, Ned, I got a quick question for you. I grew up believing I did not have permission to define who I wanted to become because I thought that was God's job. Yes, my,
0: really I, well said. I thought I had a purpose that I had to find.
1: Yes. And so I spent the first probably 25, 28, maybe 30 years of my life freaking pissed off because everyone else seemed to have a somewhat of an understanding of what they wanted to do with their life. And I was just like, God, I'm praying every day, God, what am I supposed to do? What is my calling? What is my purpose? What if, well, like, what are you, what am I supposed to do? So I got angry at God for a season. Mm. I got really angry because I'm like, why don't you just show me? Why don't you just tell me? Yeah. yeah. And there was a moment that I was sitting on the, I was sitting in my chair and my daughter, my, I don't know if your kids like to do this too, when they were younger, that um, my daughter likes to pretend she's a little chef and she'll, she'll go and she'll like put this stuff together and make this little fun meal out of toys and pieces of paper and scraps or whatever. And she comes and she brings it to me. And as she walks away in a moment, like time freezes, I'm kind of like in this little France like moment. And I, I, I'm just talking to like, I feel like I hear this download from God and I look at her and I see her and she's just full of joy. And I hear God say, what is your deepest desire for your daughter? Mm. Oh my gosh. And I start thinking about it and I'm like saying it out. And this is all just like happening in microseconds. He's like, I want her to, to go after everything that's inside of her heart. I want her to have a life of of fulfillment and joy and laughter and love and pursuing her dreams and whatever her heart desires and all these different types of things and da-da-da-da-da-da-da, like all of it. I want her to live and just to find a a worthy man that she can spend the rest of her, how beautiful, like all of it, right? And um, he's like, how would you feel if every single day she came to you and she said, Daddy, I want you to know or I want to know what you want me to do every day. And when you look at her and she asks you and says, daddy, what do you want me to do? And you say, you're going to say, sweetheart, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I realized Ned, that if my daughter constantly told me and said, daddy, not my will, your will be done. Real talk here. It would break my heart knowing that my daughter felt so much fresher, Mm. me proud that she did not and was not willing to tell me what she wanted thinking she had permission to say, Daddy, this is really what I would love to do. And I need you to help me if you, if this is, you know, to, to parent me, to lead me and to guide me. And as I'm praying through this, I felt, and, and again, this is just for me. Please don't take this as extra biblical, whatever. I felt like in that moment, God asked me the same question. He's like, buddy, why do you think it's any different in my relationship with you? These dreams, these desires, these things that you put in, that are inside of your heart that you keep pushing down because you're worried about being selfish. It's like, son, you were bought with the price. Your life is no longer your own. Why is it so hard for you to believe that every single thing that you desire in this life, why is it so hard for you to believe that maybe I put those things there Mm -hmm. as an invitation to lean into limitless potential in your life? And that's where everything started to shift for me, me, Ned, because I realized, oh my gosh, yes, I want my life to be in surrender to the Father. I want to know His will for my life, but what if His will for our lives is to lean into limitless potential. And as we go, we just preach saying the kingdom has come upon us. We heal the sick, we raise the dead, we cleanse lepers, we cast out demons, and we love the hell out of people because mm-hmm. of how we carry ourselves, surrendered to someone greater than ourselves, and we define with specificity the men that we want to become. Now, here's the practical real quick. I know we're long on time. I want to give people a practical exercise that you can do if you're struggling to define who you want to become. You take a piece of paper on the left-hand side, you write down everything that you're dissatisfied with in your life. On the right-hand side, you write down everything that is either the exact opposite or what you do want. A lot of times we struggle with defining what we do want. And so if you just write the opposite, say like, I'm really dissatisfied with my health. I'm 30 pounds overweight or whatever it is, write down what you want on the other side. If you don't know what you want, just write the exact opposite. Well, I want to lose 30 pounds, right? When you start defining these things that you want, that are different than you know the opposite of what you don't want, you'll start to get clearer on, okay, this is what needs to change my life. But you have to be careful. You can't slip into guilt. You can't slip into beating mm-hmm. yourself up. You have to love yourself where you're at. Like you just do. You might look at yourself and hate what you see. And I've been there and I've put the gun to the, in my head and I've I've wanted to end it all. And I've thought and believed that this world would be a better place without David Waldy, And I've checked my life insurance money and made sure that it was there thinking that mm-hmm. my kids I've been through the stuff. But when you sit down and you define the man that you want to become, and you start intentionally taking action in pursuit of that man, who's really just a model of for us Jesus to some degree, mm-hmm. and define that with specificity. You write that vision every single day. You'll you'll no longer. I mean, you're still gonna you're still gonna miss the mark. You're, there's gonna be days you don't go to the gym. There's gonna be days that you you lash out irrationally. There's gonna be days where you you fall on your face. But if you, every single day, you get back up and you realign, you realign.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: This 1% incremental improvement, there will come a day very rapidly where you will look back at the man that you were and you will not recognize him because Mm -hmm. you become become a completely different human being. Dude, powerful. Oh my gosh. And what a practical
0: step uh, that's anybody could go easily take. Um, and, and I'll just second to that piece. I'm gonna ask you my last question, or I'm gonna ask my last question is I've written out. So like, yes, Jesus is my ideal, but I've also written out this persona. He's called the captain and most mornings I read it. And, and then during the day it's like, well, how would the captain respond to this situation? And, and he's, I mean, it's got, it's like a page long of all this stuff of what this dude looks like. Now, the reality is, is I hope I never become him because over the years, my hope is that that dude, that ideal keeps growing. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you the book, The Gap in the Gain, has really helped me to realize I don't want to keep measuring the gap between me and the captain. I want to look back and I want to measure the dude Ned is today to who Ned was a year ago or two years ago. And like you're saying, so you you keep that gap there, right? Because we all want to continue to grow, but you measure the gain. You look back at the wins, and we all have them. And I would say if you do this practical step that David suggested, Uh, I put on your calendar one year from the day you do it, just go put it in your calendar to pop up to write down what you're dissatisfied with. I'm going to bet you seriously that your dissatisfaction is going to be completely different than what it is today. And you're going to be appalled at the progress you've made um, because we underestimate what we can get done in a year as men. Uh, and, and guys, this freaking matters so much. Like it matters for your 13 year old daughter who's going to look up at you from the couch and see you hugging your wife. It matters for your great grandkid um, who's going to know who you are, know the man you are. Like the work we're doing matters beyond our lives 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now. That's what these daily actions of like. swallowing our pride, taking an hour to write down a list of what I'm dissatisfied. Don't just freaking listen to this podcast and go back to your life and live the same way. Otherwise you're pissing away your time, my time and David's time. Go take action because it matters. Also, it matters because your boy might be the one who's driving over to my house today. Talk to me, (laughs) right? And it matters because my kid is going to someday marry your kid. So you better freaking hope that I I'm loving my kids well, and I hope you are too, because it's going to matter, dude. Like, I got chills thinking about this. Dude, this matters,
1: bro. It does. It does. And I want to add one other quick thing here, Ned, that I think people will find useful as well, is that you mentioned looking back a year later. When Mm. I first did this exercise, I, there's a secondary quick exercise I'll throw in here too, is defining your perfect day in 15, Mm. 30 minute increments, literally just, if you could write down your perfect work, I'm not talking about the Disney world days. I'm talking about if you could, from the moment you wake up, the moment you go to bed between family, work, hobbies, naps, exercise, all of it, what would be your perfect day? When I first did this Ned, I did it about four years ago and then two years ago, roughly I was reading back through a journal and I didn't, I didn't think to put in my calendar a year. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Everyone put in your calendar, like put in your calendar a year from now or two years from now to go back and find this thing. But I was sitting on the couch and I think it was either in here or was in the house. And brother, I started weeping mm-hmm. because I'm reading these things and I'm like, every single one had changed. Wow. I lost over 60 pounds Dude, I good for you. I eliminated depression and anxiety from I still have like you know the normal anxiety. Yeah, yeah. But I I fell back in love with my wife, who I felt like I didn't deserve mm. in any shape or form. I, I started being present for my kids. I left a corporate career that was sucking my soul and took a risk on myself and went out and started. You know, this was you know, four years ago. I started my own business and I started another business and another business and I looked back and I'm reading these things. And then I look down below and I literally line by line, I'm reading out my perfect day and I lose it because I'm literally living what I had written two years earlier, thinking when I wrote that there is no freaking way this will be possible. Right. right. And I was living it. And since that day, I mean, I think we talked about it, maybe it maybe it was before the podcast, but now, man. I'm still living it and I'm having to redefine it. Like we're I'm redefining that man I want to become. I'm redefining what's my new perfect day because I mean, I'm so humbled and grateful. Like I get to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my kids. Yeah. And I, that is an honor and a privilege and something I don't take lightly, but I'm also, I do not believe that I am lucky. And I believe for every man listening here, you have the, pow- the power to rebel against what everyone says is normal mm-hmm. and create the life that you are meant to live. But you're going to have to, you're going to have to put in the word. That's right. It is not easy. It's simple, which is why it's so freaking hard because we're knuckleheads and we think that it's mm-hmm. got to be overcomplicated. It's not. Define who you want to become. Define what you want in life, your perfect day, and just go start executing and becoming that version of yourself. You're going to wake up a year or two from now and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I don't even recognize myself.
0: Ah, David, wow, bro. This conversation has been so rich. I feel so just filled. Uh, just so filled, man, with joy and hope, right? Uh, yeah, baby. Uh, I'm going to ask you my last question, and that yeah. is a legacy question. Yeah. Imagine 30 years from now, okay? You're going to have a 35-year-old, a 32-year-old or so, and a 31-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. When you are standing out in the cul-de-sac, peering into the home of your three children, what do you hope to see happening? And you know that the dominoes of your day after day after day after day of showing up as David Waldy mm-hmm. had impact on what those homes are looking like inside. What do you hope to see inside? It's just laughter, man.
1: That's it. uh, It's laughter. It's good. Like from the outside, I can see it right now. I can see looking in and I can just see smiles and like stuff falling off the table and people laughing and just, you know, um, I see joy. Like, that's it, man. It's joy. And I feel like that's what we're lacking in so much of today's society. And so that's what I hope to convey. Like when I walk back in the house, like it's, it's total goob time. Like we're rolling on the floor. I'm making funny voices. We're just, you know, all the stuff that dudes aren't supposed to do, you know, manly men or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm going to immerse myself because I want that to be something that like you said, 30 years from now, I can look and say, you know what? I can, my wife will be right there with me. We'll just look at each other. We'll smile and be like, we did a good job. We did a good job. We weren't perfect, but we did a good job.
0: (laughs) Well, I love what you said. I think it's an incredible word that really uh, incorporates all the things that we believe in as men to be the provider, the protector, but to not be pursuing perfection because you made a little comment, stuff's falling off the table. So we're still admitting life is messy. Yeah. But when somebody's laughing, they are in a place of safety, protection, and they're being provided for. Yes. Um, and so the word laughter is just a beautiful uh, picture of us men showing up and providing um, at the core what we were designed and created to to do. So, David, um, if people want to learn more about you. Uh, obviously you brought up the Instagram, the fierce empathy coach, anywhere else people could find out more about you and the work you're doing. I
1: mean, at the risk of sounding pretentious, you can Google me <laughs> you know, if you want to uh, find me on Instagram. If you want to connect, feel free to shoot me a DM. And if you mention, um, rebel and create, I'll make sure that I, I don't miss it. Cause I do, you know, um, sometimes get, things get lost, but TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, find me anywhere. But if you want to actually connect, feel free to just hit me up on Instagram, go to my LinkedIn bio and, um, let's connect, you know, I'm, I'm down to jam.
0: David, I appreciate you. I appreciate the man you are. I appreciate your pursuit for life, for your wife, for your kids. You are making a huge impact, not only in your home, in those walls, but on your street, in your city, in your state, globally. Thank you for the man that you continue to wake up and pursue. Uh, I appreciate you. And I look forward to continue to see all the great work you do, my brother. And
1: until next time. Same to you, Ned. Thank you. It was an honor to be here, brother.
0: Truly, what an incredible conversation. This was so jam-packed full of gold nuggets. I can't wait to listen to it again. And I got passionate during that conversation, right? I mean, I was in it, but I want to say there's nothing special about David or me. Each one of us has the God-given power to love and serve our homes well. If we choose to wake up each day, show up, And go after the day pursuing that man that's inside of us. I hope you took some notes and start to implement the parts of our conversation that spoke to your heart. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned. Shout together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.